As always, this podcast is brought to you by Declan Kirby, GA Star. Pre-order the book now from Bookstation and be in with a chance to win a family pass to the Crow Park Museum. The new book comes out on April 21st. If you're looking to pick up any presents for any nieces or nephews in the coming weeks and months, then why not check out Declan Kirby, GA Star. Best children's GA book on the market at the minute, as voted by Amazon and Eason's. It's available on all good bookshops, Amazon, Eason's, absolutely everywhere. So get yourself a copy. The new book comes out on April April 21st, Declan Kirby GA Star, European Dreams. Check it out now in the description down below and let's start the stream. Welcome back to GA Fan TV. My name is Aaron. It was a crazy weekend of action in Bo Hurland and football and I'm delighted to be joined here by Seamus Brady of the Play on GA podcast to run through all the weekend's action. We're going to be running through the, the Hurland weekend's action, of course, obviously the big wins in there for the likes of Limerick and Waterford and of course we'll be discussing some of the the football games towards the end of the the podcast as well I suppose first of all Seamus how's uh how's life for yourself you're keeping well yeah Aaron uh, uh thanks for having me on again um yeah no life is good a uh, bit mad that we're talking about the first uh first round of GA fixtures on the same weekend as Easter Sunday but that's the world we're living in now but uh, I thought it was a very interesting start to both the hurling championship and the football championship I think the results went mainly the way that we kind of thought that they would, but not in the way, do you know what I mean? Like the the, the methods of getting there, like Tyrone did be for Manor, but it wasn't as convincing as we kind of thought it could be. Same with Limerick and, uh, no, sorry, not Limerick, same with Waterford and Tip. Thought maybe it would be more of a statement there, but all in all, yeah, great that the championship's back so early. Yeah, and I was thinking as well, like, would you nearly prefer having the championship in summer in the usual kind of routine, or would you nearly prefer it the way it is now? Because I know it definitely does seem to have mixed reaction, mixed opinions. Like, it's it is a strange one, all right, because it's almost like normally with the league, you'd have a couple of weeks, maybe even a month to digest it. It still doesn't even feel like the championships even started. It's a bit, it's a little strange to be honest. I don't know if it's because maybe the weather was a bit crap over the weekend as well. I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah, it is a weird one. I think. There's a part of me that prefers. I was having this debate with Matt uh, Hurley, the GA statsman. He came on to play on GA, and we were we were chatting about it, and we were saying that should there be, and I'd be interested to know what you think about this. Should there be like an opening day type thing? You know how the Premier League does, like the day where it all kicks off, but as best it can, like one weekend where it all begins. You know how sometimes the championship it starts slowly, like you know New York will play a Sligo, and then the next week the Munster Championship starts, and the next week the Leinster Championship starts. Like I'd love if in May there was a weekend where the football championship just kicked off, every province got going, mm-hmm. um, and then a, a similar weekend for the hurling, so that it would be one to really mark down on the calendar and have as like that's the day where the hurling championship kicks off, that's the day where the football kicks off. I think it would be a very marketable day for the GAA as well rather than a real filtered way of starting the championship I prefer May to August a little bit of time in between I think because then you can really build up anticipation you can do more analysis you can do more kind of in-depth previews because it seemed to almost catch everyone by surprise it's like oh starting this weekend guys like serious because it felt like the league never really ended and all of a sudden we were right back in the championship it was strange yeah, it was like a, a two-week break or something. It was definitely a, a little bit odd. Like, I suppose it is good in some ways that the games are a bit more spread out because you do have 
you know, say, for example, obviously there was a lot of attention on Fermanagh Throne this weekend, a lot of attention on London Leitrim, New York Sligo was on GEA Go. And obviously next week you've got some of the Leinster sides in action. So I suppose that is the main positive. And I suppose from a hurling perspective as well, you've seen even some of the Antrim Offaly got shown on, on uh, uh, the Sunday game. I think that must be the first ever Joe McDonough Cup game that was ever shown on the Sunday game. So at least like the, there is still like a lot of these games are still getting a bit more attention, which I suppose is good. Yeah, I mean, that is the positive. It's which would you rather have? Would you rather have like a a day of days where it all kicks off, but then probably it's more focused on just the big teams? Or would you rather have a day for for each team to get a bit more exposure? And I can definitely see why they are doing it this way. I just feel like with this way of doing it for these players, like for the likes of Sligo, Leitrim that played this weekend, I feel like it gives them less time to really recover and get ready from the league because they would have taken the league campaign very seriously. It wouldn't have been a cavern types thing where they could have tiptoed through. Like Sligo were pushing for promotion the whole way through and then going over to New York, like they didn't really get any time to rest. So their league and championship is just one big championship for them, I think. And yeah, I think it would probably have done them better to get a little bit of a rest, I think. Yeah, I suppose we'll, we'll crack on with some of the, the hurling action then and, and run through some of these games. You had Cork 117, Limerick 225. I think a lot of people were still expecting Limerick to come through this game, even though they had a poor enough league campaign. But, I mean, this was very, very dominant indeed. I mean, the first half was kind of even, like Cork started a bit better, 1-2 uh, without reply in the opening seven minutes. But in the second half, once Limerick got going, I mean, they just absolutely steamrolled Cork, really. And, and Cork just didn't have an answer for for Limerick and not for the first time either. Yeah, no, I was very disappointed by this game. I mean, it's the fact that it started so well. I mean, Shane Kingston got that goal within 20 seconds. It was like, wow, like that's what's already happening. Cork are getting Limerick. There was rumours about, you know, what is up with Limerick? Have they left it? Like me and Matt were comparing it to, you know, a college student or a leaving South student waiting until the day before their exam before deciding to study everything. Like Limerick were stuffing all these players back into the team just before the championship begins. We were thinking, I was saying, look, if there was ever a chance really to catch Limerick on the hop, it might be this game. And when Cork got that goal straight away, I was like, wow, like maybe this could actually be Cork's revenge because obviously they beat them in the league. But I still think there's something in the head about what, what Limerick did to them in the in the last year's All Ireland final, like there's something in the head because when Limerick got going, as you're saying, like Cork just had no response, and Limerick again just they just never never cease to amaze us. I mean, like Keen Lynch's point when he's on his knees, like Dermot Burns literally looked at any point like he could hit the ball over from literally anywhere on the pitch. Uh, Kyle Hayes's goal, I mean, flashbacks to the goal against Tipperary last season. They were just fantastic. Again, Gerard Hegarty, Keane Lynch, Tom Morrissey, they dropped deep into the kind of midfield half-back line area for all of Cork's puckouts, and they just cleaned up. And then when Cork tried to do it different and tried to kind of play out through the hands like they do with Patrick Collins' puckouts, Limerick's press was just fantastic, and they look right back to their best. I mean, very similar to the type of thing I was saying about now with Limerick, it's like pick your poison, right? You want to go with the long puck out okay Hegarty and Lynch they're dropping deep they're just going to sweep up everything as soon as you hit the ball into them okay you want to play it short Gillan Flanagan like the press is on immediately and how many times did they turn over Cork and not only turn them over but turn them over and punish them you think about Aaron Gillan's goal you think about Garrett Hegarty's points like they made them pay for those mistakes 
And yeah, they just looked awesome again. Yeah, and it's interesting because you mentioned there as well about the fact that Limerick were trying to get a lot of players into the into their team sort of at the end of the league. And I was the same as you. I felt like this was a fantastic chance for Cork to beat Limerick on the opening day, to set out a marker at Parky Cueve in front of their home fans. You could see by watching this game as well, like the fans were really on Limerick's back at times as well. Like every miss, every poor pass was jeered. They were under pressure. And, you know, I, I still think that like Limerick still can even improve. I don't even think they were actually at their absolute best. I still think they have an extra probably 20 to 30 percent to give so you would look back at cork as well and it's one thing getting beat by limerick but to be absolutely hammered in the way that they were was just really poor like i think from from the 37th minute onwards only one point from play which is very disappointing that's shocking like that's shocking for a game of hurling like that's you can't justify that. I mean, like with the forwards that they have with Lehan, with Horgan, with Seamus Harnady, I mean, you can't justify that. I think one moment that is being slept on a little bit is Nicky Quaid's save from Shane Barrett. I mean, Seamus Harnady, Cork started the second half pretty well. And then Seamus Harnady gets that ball out on the wing, sprays it across to Shane Barrett. He does well to get the shot away because it was nearly a block put on him. And what a save by Nicky Quaid. Knocks it up and over the bar. And I think Cork because of the damage psychologically that is done to them by Limerick, by those heavy defeats, they need momentum, they need confidence. And when things happen that kind of suggest that it might not be their day, I feel like they do fold against Limerick pretty quickly, as was seen in this game. I mean, one point from play after the 37th minute or something, that's that's ridiculous. Like, And you're not going to win an, an All-Ireland like that. You're just not. Um, so... I don't know where Kieran Kingston is going to think about this. Now, they're not playing next week. They have a, they have a round off. They have time to rest. Limerick go and play Waterford, which is a mouth-watering clash. But for Cork, I mean, the only way is up from this game. They were shocking, in my opinion. Yeah, and you were speaking to Matthew there. He's uh, left a comment in here saying, uh, looks like I was right about Horgan after all. No movement in the forward line. Wonder why only a player... Going for the all-time scoring record, no, uh, not feasible going forward. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a fair point as well. And obviously, we've seen you were mentioning there, like about you know the the psychological damage that seems to be get, getting done to Cork, and they were hammered obviously by Waterford as well um, in that league final. But speaking of Limerick, though, I mean, I suppose this really does prove that you know you did have a couple of different people speaking out saying you know Limerick might not make the top three or you know they're 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 not at their absolute best but I think this very much proves that they are still the top dogs at the moment in the country anyways and you know maybe they, they could get beat by water for next weekend but I think the, a result like this even with them not at their absolute best just proves they very well they very much are ahead of the chasing pack at the minute anyways yeah, well, whoever whoever said Limerick aren't going to finish in the top three in Munster is just talking absolute nonsense. Like, of course they're going to finish in the top three. Like, they, they put on one of the best All-Ireland performances I've ever seen. Like, that, that the fact that they're getting compared to the Kilkenny four-in-a-row team after that All-Ireland final just shows how good they were. The fact that we're sitting here saying they beat Cork by 225 to 117, not letting Cork score a point from play after the 37th minute. And you can actually still sit there and say, it wasn't the best performance. Like, that's crazy. Like, that's great. That shows how good they are. That shows the level of talent that they have. The fact that someone like Pat Ryan can come on and just swing a point over the bar from literally the sideline, and he's not good enough to get in. Like, the fact that they are without the likes of Peter Casey. Like, that, like Mike Casey comes back in, having not really been in the team for, I mean, a year, a little bit more than a year. 
and he looked awesome. He looked like he'd been playing the entire time. Their talent level is ridiculous. And I think they are absolutely the team to beat. If Waterford beat them this year, I think they'll only beat them once. I think Limerick are just too strong. But it will be interesting to see when Waterford beat them. Will they beat them in the preliminary? Will they beat them in the Munster final? Because I think that will be the Munster final. Or will they beat them in the All-Ireland semi-final or All-Ireland final? Because Limerick, you have to beat Limerick to win the All-Ireland. It's that simple. Like They are right up there in terms of dominance with like the Dublin six in a row team, with the Kerry teams of the 2000s. Like, they are the Kings. And this performance was a real, like, in my opinion, like, did you forget how good we were type performance, like, like Kerry against Dublin in 2009, like where it was a real tour de force. Like they just put Cork away. And for Cork, this performance is like so depressing. Like, cause they just, it's the second time now in a few months, in six, seven months that they've just got absolutely battered by the same team. And I was saying it with Matt as well, like, because he makes a good point about Stan Horgan and basing the attack around him. Like, you're doing the exact same thing and expecting a different result. Like, you're putting Horgan in there, who's a big full forward, and then you're trying to spray the ball into him. I said, why not put uh, a Connolly Han, a Shane Kingston, a full forward, and let's test their pace in there. Let's see how quick that, that full back line is. Because playing a Patrick Horgan in there, you've seen in last year's final, it didn't work. So why would you go and do the same thing again? Limerick haven't really been... That's why Waterford are the team that everyone's looking at as potentially being able to beat them because they got the likes of Desi Hutchinson in there, got the likes of Jack Prendergast in there who are lightning quick. And that might just be the key to getting past Limerick. And Cork have that pace, though. Cork have Jack O'Connor. They have Shane Kingston. They have Alan Connolly. They have Connolly Han. So that's... Why are they not going with that? It, did, it didn't make sense to me. It made perfect sense to me what Matt was saying about... Horgan not getting the start, as controversial as it is, because when they put Horgan in there, then they seem to completely rely on him. So it's the type of thing where I think without him, as good as he is, because I do still think he's a brilliant player, I think Cork would have a better chance of beating Limerick if they based it solely on the pace. Yeah, no, like, and you've seen even with Shane Kingston as well with the goal early on, and he loves a goal against Limerick. Like, he got one in the all Ireland final. I think he got one in the league as well. Um, and he's he's probably been Cork's best player so far this year. So, yeah, it's a strange one, all right. And you see him with Dara Fitzgibbon probably not having as big an impact in this game as he probably did throughout the, the league as well. Um, and Limerick, very much an autopilot a lot of the times in the second half, like you were saying. Like, I think they could have probably upped it by 10 to 15% and maybe gone for more goals and been a bit more rootless. But as you were saying as well, like, um, you know, they, they obviously don't have Peter Casey. They don't have Shamie Flanagan either. Cahill O'Neill's coming off the bench and scoring an absolute wonder point as well. So, like, you could argue the case that they're actually nearly better than what they were last year. And you looked at them last year and you thought, it can't get much better than that. But if they continue these levels of performances and they improve a little bit as well, which I expect they will, then they might, you know, they might even eclipse what they done last year. Yeah, and just one more point onto that. When they did the analysis on the Sunday game, it got frightening because that type of total hurling approach that they're getting now, now the likes of Barry Nash, Dan Morrissey, they're starting to attack. Like, remember I was mentioning earlier about Hegarty and Lynch. Like, I noticed that Hegarty and Lynch were dropping real deep to help with O'Donoghue and O'Donovan are in the middle. But Barry Nash was, you know, overlapping. Dan Morrissey was overlapping. So now defenders are attacking and forwards are defending. Everyone can play everywhere. They move Dan Morrissey out to the halfback line again. And it's like he never left it. Like, they're all comfortable playing 
in every position. They're all just machines and they can fit into any area on the pitch. And that's the best point that I was saying about Limerick. Very similar because I compare them a lot to that Dublin team under Jim Gavin is they keep evolving. They won the All-Ireland and um, they won the All-Ireland in 2018 with Kyle Hayes at centre forward. Then the new weapon that they added was, was Kyle Hayes at wing back. And now you're thinking, well, how can it get better than that? Now they're bringing in this like total hurling side where the likes of Barry Nash now are running forward. And Barry Nash was a forward in his day. So if he gets a chance to shoot at the posts, he's not going to miss. And that's, again, they're evolving. Again, they're bringing in the likes of Cahill O'Neill. And very similar to how Dublin did it under Jim Gavin. Every year there was a new player into the team. There was a Brian Howard. There was a Paul Mannion coming back. There was something new in the team that every year you had to plan for, which makes it so hard to catch up with Limerick because they're not a standing target. Mm, yeah, and it is interesting, all right, because you, you said there as well, like sure, even Keen Lynch at one stage, you know, he was playing around midfield and he's in the half forward line. Cole Hayes was in the half forward line, then gets moved back to wing back. I mean, they're just interchanging their players all the time. And I think it, it definitely shows the the work that John Coyley and Paul Connerk have done over the last couple of years. In terms of wrapping up on Cork, then do you still think they could make the top three or, or what do you reckon? Because obviously they're not playing any more games at Parky Cueve, um, at least in the Munster Championship anyways. So, I mean, it could be very tough for them to get out. Like they have to go to way to Waterford, away to Tipperary, they play Clare at a neutral venue as well. Like you'd be worried for the Rebels, really. Yeah, and, and like the other thing as well is that they looked so vulnerable at the back. I mean, you talk about the two goals that they conceded. I know the second one... We'll make a little bit of an exception for the second goal because the fact that they got turned over, you know, Gillan had hung in the right place at the right time. But it was still poor that he ended up there. But then the first goal for Kyle Hayes is just shocking defending. I mean, he literally, he turns, it was highlighted. Mark Coleman just absolutely caught ball watch and just ran out to the sideline to double team Kyle Hayes. And with one sidestep, uh, the Cork defender slips and Kyle Hayes is a straight run at the goal. There's three Cork defenders that are like positioned in between, marking their men between Hayes and the goal. And none of them come to cut him off. And then there's the cornerback, I think it was Sean O'Donoghue or something, who's marking Galan. But literally, if you watch the replay, O'Donoghue just stands there and just watches Kyle Hayes. Literally just watches him put the ball in the net. Doesn't try block him, doesn't try anything he's too focused on Galan to go to Kyle Hayes when at that point Kyle Hayes is that close that he's obviously going to shoot he's not going to hand pass at that stage it's too and it would be too hard to get off an accurate enough hand pass at that stage so Donahue needs to commit when Kyle Hayes looks like he's throwing it up to bat it then you need to jump in and block and he doesn't do anything so I think for Cork they just need to sharpen up tighten up at the back because they are going to go in. Like Waterford, what that Waterford forward line going to do to that Cork defence if they keep going like that? Clare's forward line is brilliant. You've got Tony Kelly, Aaron Shanahan. What are they going to do to that Cork back line? Tip, did you know the, the former Noel McGrath there against Waterford, Jason Ford? Like, there's no bad forward lines in Munster. So if Cork don't tighten up at the back, they'll be in serious trouble because mm-hmm. Waterford and Limerick take the two top spots, no doubt, in my opinion. Um, and Cork... Then between Cork, Clare and Tip for the third spot. If Cork don't tighten up at the back, they would have been my pick at the start to go into that third spot. But, you know, Clare and Tip just have such talent that if Cork aren't right, they won't get in. Yeah, like I'm um, like I backed Clare to sneak in in front of them, really. But I felt like that was a bold prediction at the time, whereas now I'm kind of looking at it and thinking... 
Cork might even finish bottom, to be honest, because, you know, we, like you were saying there about them not tightening up and, you know, we've seen it in the All-Ireland final last year against Waterford, even against Kilkenny at times as well in that uh, league semi-final. So really, really a lot of uh, a lot of work for, for Cork to do in the in the coming weeks. Waterford, as we were mentioning there, big win for them over Tipperary, 224 to 220. Um, Waterford, I mean, they, they struggled in the first half. I thought Tipperary done very well defensively. Cahill Barrett and James Quigley done very well there at the back. Um, but once Waterford got going, really, in that third quarter, I think they hit 1-6 or 1-7 without reply. Um, you know, they, they were dominant, really. And Although Tipperary made a game of it towards the, the close of minutes, Waterford are the ones who uh, get the win. Yeah, and this is a brilliant game. This is a fantastic game. And it was exactly what Waterford needed. I mean... We were saying it was a chance to make a statement for Waterford to, you know, to put to put away a Tipperary side that recently have lost to like Sapati Ma, and you know they're obviously without Seamus Callan as well, who's injured. So it was a chance there to really make a statement for Waterford. But they got an absolute epic game. They got such a challenge off Tipperary that they needed, and that will harden them up for the championship. I'd be absolutely thrilled if I was Liam Cahill because they made such a brilliant start. I mean. Curran, Patrick Curran pointed within 14 seconds. Then Jack Prendergast gets that point on the fifth minute. That makes it four points to nil. And then at that point, you're thinking, all right, Waterford are gonna put, you know, they're gonna put a bit of a beating here on Tipperary if things don't change. And then Tip completely changed with the Marquio goal, and then a Jake Morris point on eight and a half minutes, and then Tipper ahead. So right from that point on, it was such a competitive game. And I thought some of the scores are absolutely fantastic, but you are right. Um at halftime, I thought the, the key point was when Austin Gleeson and Jamie Barron both came in. I thought they absolutely changed the game. Gleeson's point right on the start of the second half was so, just an inspirational score. And that little burst that Waterford made at the start of the second half, like I'd love to be a fly on the wall in the dressing room and know what Liam Cahill said to them at halftime because that Michael Kiley goal on the volley straight after, that was a brilliant team move. I mean, Jack Prendergast was involved in that. Patrick Curran was involved in that, throws it over to Michael Kiley, bang. Um, and yeah, that was, I think, the winning of the game for Waterford, that little burst and then the impact of Gleeson and Barron. Yeah, I mean, it was a big turnaround really going into in, in, into the second half. Like, and you were saying there with Waterford, like, and in particular about Liam Cahill, like, he'll be happy with the fact that they were such heavily tested because maybe in the league, like, you know, I know they, I think they, they, they drew a game in the league. Obviously, they didn't win every single game, but largely speaking, throughout the majority of the league, they were fairly comfortable in a lot of their games and they were fairly dominant. And we've seen this before, even in football with teams like Kerry and even Dublin sometimes. Well, you know, if you're not tested, if you don't get those big tests, you know, you don't find out much about yourself. And for Waterford, they would have found out a lot about themselves in this game. They would have found out that, right, you know, these are the men that we need to be starting in terms of Austin Gleeson, Jamie Barron. We need these lads on the pitch, you know, and, and that some of these players, the likes of Desi Hutchinson and whatnot, quiet in the first half, but have what it takes to step it up in the second half. So for Waterford and for Liam Cahill, like they'd be very happy with that sort of test the character and it might stand to them a bit maybe against the Limerick in a decisive Munster final or All-Ireland final if they do go behind by three four points although you're playing a completely different team it could stand to them having had this sort of moment where they've came from behind and, uh, and turned something around yeah without doubt because you mentioned there about Desi I mean Desi Hutchinson we've all known is the type of player that can be so quiet throughout the entire game and then he gets one chance and he'll bury it and he buried that goal i mean on the 44th minute he just gets it i don't know what happened in the temporary backs that allowed desi hutchinson of all people to be standing on the edge of the penalty area with no one on him 
But what a finish that was, right into the top corner, no chance for Hogan in the nets. And, yeah, I think the only issue for Waterford is the the fact that Tipperary did have other goal chances. I mean, you think about the Jason Ford goal chance, what a save that was by Sean O'Brien. But, um, yeah, like you think about the Mark Kyo, the second goal that he got, I thought that was a bit of a soft one for Waterford to concede. The first goal that they conceded as well, I mean, Connor Prunty was turned over poorly enough there. So, again, a defence thing. You saw what Limerick did to the to the Cork defence. Waterford need to be tight. I mean, tied to Burke, it was his first championship game back. I thought he had a good game, but in the first half, he was showing signs that he was a bit nervous. I mean, he threw a hand pass straight to Noel McGrath, who put it straight between the posts. Who, by the way, while we're on that, like, Noel McGrath was fantastic. I mean, I thought he rolled back the ears. It was real tour de force by him. And at centre forward, looked as good as he ever has. But for Tip, on the other hand, I think it's a very, very good, promising game from them because we, they've always struggled with this, getting the young lads into the side. Like, Mark Yo was the heartbeat of that attack in this game, along with Noel McGrath. thought Jake Morris looked good in stages as well. And at the back, obviously, you are mentioning there, um, Quigley in there, I thought he had a good game because, obviously, first time in so long that they're without Brendan Maher and Paddy Maher. So, yeah, I thought good promising signs for Tip and for Waterford, I think, they can be nothing but happy with how it went while also keeping in check that, look, if Mark Yo is going to get two goals against you, as good a hurler as he is, he's not as good as Aaron Galan. So I feel like they're going to need to tighten up as well. Yeah, Vin says here, great to see Limerick and Waterford at the top tables now. Go away too. Great to see the Cats rubbish with Cody gone. Uh, at least in Mayo, we, we give Hurlan a go. Kilkenny are now wrap up boats yeah I'm, I'm not too sure what he means in regards to cody i'm pretty sure maybe he means own cody or something i've no idea to be honest there what you're saying man but in terms of tipperary though we were like we were talking about them and obviously the the young lads that they were they were bringing through um in the likes of mark Yo, and you've obviously connor bow come in there as well like i mean for tipperary they'll take a lot of confidence because i think a lot of people probably had tipperary as maybe the side that would finish you know, probably outside the top three, let's be honest. Um, and Waterford very much, you know, looked at as, you know, top two, top three in the country. So for Tipperary, like, they'll take a lot of confidence now going into that game next week against Clare. Like, they'll go into that with a lot of momentum. I think they have that one at home as well. So, I mean, they'll be fancying their chances in that one. Yeah, and I mean, I, I had tip to finish bottom. Um, I think I, I thought that the transition between... A side that was fantastic based around the likes of the Mars and Jamie Callan. And I thought, well, that team was fantastic and based a lot on their All-Ireland winning team of 2019. It had been shown that it wasn't good enough to beat Limerick multiple times. So they're in this little weird phase where they have to kind of rebuild the team. And I thought this year might be a year too soon for Colin Bonner and his side to kind of pick up a victory against all the teams in Munster who I think are a couple of years ahead of them in terms of transition and developing. I thought Cork, Clare... Waterford, they're all just that year or two ahead of a tip side that are in their first year of transitioning into this new side, full of the likes of full of the likes of Mark Yo and Jake Morris. So I thought, but after this performance, I'm much more confident in their abilities to get a victory. I mean, Cork look on the ropes after, especially after that game. Like there will be a bounce from Cork. They will try and prove that they still are one of the top teams in the country. But if Tip get a run on a Cork, like you can't lie, like the damage is done by the Limerick defeats. 
and you know the defense is there for the taking. I mean, if J- if J- Jason Ford has a field day, if Noel McGrath does the same thing that he's done, because Matt Coleman will give him space, like Matt Coleman will give him space, and he'll be able to do the same things again. So yeah, look, Tipperary will be very confident ahead of their next game because they absolutely showed the potential that they have. I mean, wait, I have it here. The Claire, they're playing, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah, I like this. This is a Claire side that I think are very, very unpredictable. I mean, one day Claire can be fantastic and the next day they can be awful. So it, it's hard, it's genuinely hard to know who's going to win that one. But I do think Tipperary will absolutely be confident. They're never going to be afraid of playing Claire. And obviously in the championship there, I think it was the last year, remember there was the, the foul that ended up in the penalty. That was a very interesting game. Um, Tipperary looked like they were the better side in that game, even without the foul. But I think that year... That game, sorry, showed the Tipperary don't ever really care about Clare and they usually expect to win that game. So, yeah, you're right. They will have absolutely no fear about Clare. Um, it's just whether or not Clare show up. I think if Clare show up to 100% and Tip show up to 100%, I think Clare win. But I think it'll be very interesting to see what version of the two sides turn up. Yeah, like I do think Clare are a little bit ahead of Tipperary right now, but I think the fact that Tipperary have obviously either play, already played a game um, in the championship and had that run out against Waterford and had a tough game under their belt. I think it could serve to them a lot more going in against Clare, who maybe who maybe you know haven't had a couple of games obviously in the last couple of weeks. Um, still waiting obviously for Mark Rogers. Tony Kelly's back now, but you know will he be at will he be one hundred percent at his best? We'll obviously have to, uh, to to wait and see. As for Waterford though, to finish it up on them, I mean Limerick obviously coming up next week obviously at the Gaelic rounds. I mean that's going to be one hell of a game. Um and, and looking at Waterford in particular, I mean, could they challenge Limerick in that game? And obviously, you know, a lot of people would, would still have Limerick as the favourites, but could Waterford be the ones maybe to 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 maybe turn them over and, and, and be the first team to beat them in the in the All Ireland since what 2019? Yeah, th- I think they're the most likely to do it out of any other county in the country. I think Waterford the mo- are the most likely to beat Limerick, and I'm not I'm not individual in thinking that. I mean, the Sunday game there, nine nine pundits, four of them went for Waterford to win the All-Ireland and the other five went for Limerick. So these are the top two sides. It's very much seen as a two-horse race between these two. Even the likes of Kilkenny, like no one's back in Kilkenny to win the All-Ireland this year, which when's the last time that's ever happened? Like it is really between these two sides. Um, Waterford are definitely, definitely going to try and you know, hit Limerick with something different, in my opinion. The likes of Desi Hutchinson. I think they can look at last year's All-Ireland semi-final and look at the fact, remember they put Jamie Barron into the forwards when he wasn't doing well around the middle. And Jamie Barron caused a few problems for them up there when he went up to the forwards. I mean, he brought a few good saves out of Nicky Quaid. I think there's a little window there for Waterford. Like that, Limerick didn't deal that way that well which is pure pace in the forward line, where Waterford weren't trying to hit high balls in. I think Stephen Bennett maybe around the half forward line would be better than having him in at the full forward line because I think that's exactly the type of player that a Dan Morrissey would want to mark or a Sean Finn would want to mark. A quick, well, Sean Finn's going to go on Desi Hutchinson, but like a proper, proper quick, pacey little fella like, like Jamie Barron could be a nightmare for a big guy like Dan Morrissey. So like, I just think Waterford, the main thing is, can they compete with Limerick around the midfield this time? Because the midfield was where they just got eaten alive in last year's semi-final. Will O'Donoghue and Darrow Donovan. Darrow Donovan got man of the match, but Limerick just ate them up in the midfield. And that's why they had to take Jamie Barron out of there because they just got physically dominated. 
And this time, obviously, they brought in Cork Daly, who he is an absolute tank. Like, he can go toe-to-toe with O'Donoghue physically, and I don't think he'd be intimidated by him. So I think Cork Daly and whoever they put with him, be it a, you know, be it a Kieran Benner or be it an Austin Gleeson, that's going to be the absolute foundation. And then on the other hand, you know, how are they going to deal with the likes of Garoud Hegarty, Tom Morrissey? Is Jack Fagan going to go on Garoud Hegarty? Like, I just think the matchup around the middle and how Waterford do around the middle this time is going to decide the game. Because I think forward for forward and defender for defender, I think Waterford matched them. It's just around the midfield. They just got dominated in last year's semi-final. Yeah, it will be interesting, all right, because uh, I thought Cahorick Daly probably struggled at times um, or did struggle at times in in the Tipperary game, and you've seen him obviously come off and Jamie yeah. Barron come on, so it will be interesting to see how they uh, how, how they approach that one, but looking at the Leinster Championship, you had Wexford 119, Galway 119. I suppose the real story is how on earth did Galway not win this game? I mean, they were two points up. They had a free you know Connor Cooney obviously standing over it takes far too long on the ball um which I actually thought was very harsh to be honest like he was yeah. standing over the ball like 11 seconds um you know if that's in Crow Park or anything like that and not at um Wexford's home ground which is where the game was being played um I, I think he's allowed to take that and probably puts it over and that's game over so um but still at the same time you look at Galway and think there were six points up going into the final five to six minutes I mean how on earth did they not win this game yeah, well, to start off, that like the Cooney one is a ridiculous decision because then only a few minutes later you have Lee Chin standing over the ball for 17 seconds and he's allowed to take as long as he wants. Like That just didn't make sense. I mean, the referee was hugely, hugely influenced by the crowd there. He got that completely wrong. And Galway are absolutely right to be for really frustrated with that because that has cost them a point. Like That's cost them the two points. And that could be everything. I mean, how many times over the last few years in the round robin has it come down to the final day? I mean, the last time the round robin was played, Galway went out on the final day. I mean, if this happens where, you know, Galway go out on score difference or something when they're tied on points with a team, they'll think back to this. They'll think back to this Connor Cooney free and that they could have come out of Wexford with the two points, which would have been a great start for Henry Shefflin in the championship. Yeah, they'd be really frustrated with it. But on the other hand, again, it's it's very similar to what Galway have done in the last few years. Get really complacent, get really cocky and throw the game away. I mean, they did it against Kilkenny in the Leinster final in 2020. They were they looked awesome in the first half and then they just let the game slip. And getting complacent, again, they have done that. I mean, remember the Dublin game last year when they were going for goals with every shot they took in the first five minutes? Like, they just need to keep their heads focused. They just need to keep their head in the game. I think Wexford... Fantastic comeback by them, by the way. You know, there were six points down. Lee Chin's impact off the bench was huge. Great to see him back. And yeah, like the, the substitutes definitely made a difference. Cahill Dunbar as well. He was fantastic when he came on. He got a lovely score. And so, yeah, absolute credit to Wexford for bringing themselves back from the dead in some respects. And But poor from Galway because this was definitely a game where like Limerick don't lose this game. Waterford don't lose this game. You know, once they're six points up, the game's over. They're not losing. They're not, you know, they're not getting pulled back like Galway did. And I think if Galway want to consider themselves All-Ireland contenders, they need to finish games off with end up six points up at a stage like that. Yeah, they've won win in the last six championship games, Galway, yeah, which tells you just... Yeah, it just tells you how much they've um, they've been struggling. A lot of those games have all been very similar, like the two games against Dublin, the one in 2019, the one 
in the uh, last year as well, like where they, they looked in control and, and sort of thrown it away. And, and, and then like what you were saying against Kilkenny as well, and same here, like seems to be problems that are going from Shane O'Neill over into um, Henry Shefflin's reign as manager as well. Um, but I suppose from Wexford, like you have to give them credit as well, like a tremendous amount of fight, as you were saying there with Lee Chin and Carl Dunbar, who came off the bench, Connor McDonald, who finished with one, two and Rory O'Connor with six points in total on the game. So, I mean, for Wexford, Look, it's a hard one to know where they're at in terms of, you know, can they get into that top three? I think it's going to be very close between them, Galway, Kilkenny and Dublin. Um, but, I mean, they're they're showing a lot of fight and they do have Dublin at home coming up now as well. Um, and especially at, at Wexford Park, like with their home ground, they seem to be one of them teams like to beat Limerick, obviously, in the league at home as well. They, they seem to really get a tune out of their players when they're playing at home. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, they, they always... Home comforts, obviously. And then you saw the impact that the crowd had there. I mean, like, the crowd get right behind Wexford. And, like, with Davy Fitz, I mean, especially that was when it was at its peak, but it seemed to carry on into Egan, which says that it literally is the fans. Like, the fans are hurling crazy down there. And, yeah, obviously now you've got Dublin coming down. Like, I'd be nervous for that game. Well, obviously, we'll talk about Dublin against Leash, but Dublin didn't look very impressive against Leash. And, like, going down to Wexford Park now... And seeing the fight that Wexford showed, I mean, there was one there was one instant where Gerald McInerney ran down the field and he had about five Wexford players running after him. And just the absolute drive, determination, heart, ferocity that they showed. And when they won that free, when they turned them over, you could see like the bounce is there, the fight is there, the hunger is there. Um, from an All-Ireland perspective, I don't think the talent is there to the, light, to the level of a Waterford or a Limerick. I don't think that they can compete with them. But I think Leinster Championship in, in 2022, I don't think it's beyond Wexford. I think that they absolutely can go for it because they've drawn with Galway now. Um, I think they could definitely beat Dublin. And then, you know, they're in a position where they could make the Leinster final. And then, you know, it's just a once-off game. Who knows what can happen? So Wexford should definitely be very, very, very positive about this result because they showed a lot of heart, a lot of fight against the Galway side that did look very impressive at the start. I mean, they had a number of goal chances. You know, Connor Whelan obviously had that chance for goal. He put it over the bar. Brian Concanon had that chance for goal. He put it over the bar after he did get the initial goal. So Galway should have had more goals on the board, in my opinion, early on. But the fight that Wexford showed to pull back what looked like a game that was dead and buried, and now with Dublin coming down, I think Wexford should be really, really positive. Mm, yeah, could could Galway be in a bit of trouble though? Maybe at the same time, like they didn't have any scores at all coming off the bench, and although like they they do have a tremendous amount of young players coming through, and in Brian Concanon, Evan Nyland, and obviously the likes of yeah, Cooney and Carl Mannion, these lads doing quite well in there, but. And and to be fair, they do have Dublin and Kilkenny at home, but we've seen with Galway, there just is a lot of inconsistency in there. I mean, could, could they be caught maybe? Could they finish outside the top three? Once again, we've obviously seen it happen before and they were knocked out early in Leinster last year, same in 2019. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think Galway can absolutely be caught because like, it would be stupid at this point to say Galway can't be caught because we said that in 2019 and they got caught. We would have said that in 2021 and Dublin beat them when we weren't really that impressed by Dublin's Allianz League campaign. So, like, Galway absolutely have the talent. Like, they absolutely have the talent. Like, Connor Wheel and Brian Kincannon, like, these guys are fantastic. They just don't seem to be able to consistently do it over the course of 70 minutes. They always seem to have a 10-minute spell 
where the other team just completely gets the run on them. And Wexford again had it where they pulled them back from six points down. So, like, yeah, they absolutely could be in trouble. Because, I mean, like, all they need really is a slip-up because Kilkenny will fancy their chances of beating Galway. And then all they need to do is take their eye off the ball against Dublin. And now the fact that they haven't got the victory here, like, yeah, that's what that's why I was saying that the, that Connor Cooney decision to turn over the free and then the fact that it resulted in a leech-in point straight after the free was turned over, like, that could absolutely have key, key implications on the entire championship. Yeah, could as well. And you were we were mentioning there about Dublin, a very narrow win over Leash as well. Um, probably not the best performance in the end. They just about got over the line. They nearly threw it away at the end with the late goal conceded, and then obviously the late end the rolling chance as well. I mean, could have even could have nearly lost this game. I suppose there's two ways of looking at it from a Dublin point of view, and obviously you're a Dublin fan as well. Um, you know, you you could look at it in the sense of well, they just about got through. It could be a big win. But at the same time, you could look at the performance and then you could also look at the fact that, you know, the likes of Galway, um, Wexford and Kilkenny are likely to put up big scores against Leash and it could come down to score difference. So, I mean, although it is a victory, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a weird one of looking at it. It's probably not great preparation for Wexford away next weekend. Yeah, no, it's not because, like, it was the type of thing where I was thinking, like, show me, don't tell me. Like, if, if Dublin are serious about making progression... This is what we've done in, in pretty much every championship over the last two years. We've beaten Leash just about when when we've actually beaten them. I mean, we lost them a couple of years ago. We've beaten Leash just about. Then we'll like draw with a Wexford or a Galway and then lose the big games and then go out. That's pretty much what's happened. And I can see it happening again this year because we didn't look like we've made progression. I mean, Donald Burke looked fantastic as he always does. I mean, he's really become the heartbeat of the Dublin side. And at the back, I thought, we looked okay, but the two goals we conceded were terrible goals to concede. I mean, the first goal, I mean, it literally just bounces. I think it was off the, it was either off the crossbar or Sean Brennan's hurl. Like, I, I don't really know, but mm. the fact that then, like, yeah, Mark Dowling literally just walked in and batted it in. Like, Brennan needs to be more commanding there. He needs to come out and take that ball, take ball and man if necessary. You need to dominate that little square. And he didn't. And then the second goal, like, I don't even think Ender Rowland hit it that well. He just hit it low and it went into the back of the net when there's like seven Dublin players on the line. Like, I think that's poor enough from us. So Leash shouldn't have been as close to Dublin as they were in the end. And then the fact that it came down to an Ender Rowland free and, you know, that like Leash could have won that game if that had gone into the back of the net. That's how close this was. So for Dublin, I think, and Maddie Kenny didn't look happy at the end. Like he, he was standing on the sideline there and he looked more kind of just a little bit annoyed. Like it's a it's a weird one because yeah, we've won, but we like I wouldn't have confidence in this victory that we're going to be able to go down to Wexford Park and get a result, let alone go away and cook any. Yeah, I'd agree as well. Like, I mean, I tip Dublin to get into the top three at the start of the year, maybe more so out of hope, but you are looking at it and thinking it's going to be very tough, all right, going away to going away to Wexford next weekend. And as you were saying there, like outside of Donald Burke, who hit 13 points, just four points from Dublin six forwards. And Alex Considine, who came off the bench, ended up with a goal. But you're even looking at the likes of Ronan Hayes, Fergal Whiteley, but in particular Ronan Hayes, like we know the the talent that he is and how well he done at club level, obviously for uh, for Kilmichael Croaks and how good of a hurler he is, finishing with just one point on the day. Now, obviously, I didn't see the game. You only seen the brief highlights, so I don't know whether it was the service into him or what it is. But I just feel like Dublin need to try and find a way to get more 
out of a player like him because he's a, a phenomenal hurler, really. And I feel like if Dublin are going to do anything special, you know, he's going to have to be one of the, the main men who's going to need to step up. 100%. I mean, he looked like an absolute supreme full forward in that club final against Nafina. He looked fantastic. And not only that, he showed metal. He showed absolute heart. I mean, you think about the fact that he missed the penalty and then he scored the equalising goal in the last minute to, to deny Nafina that Dublin championship. But the thing that I don't understand talking about that game, Sean Curry was by far the best hurler on the pitch that day. I mean, what did he hit? 10 points from play? Like, mm. what does Sean Curry have to do to get into the Dublin team? Like, seriously, he was by far and away the best forward, along with Ronan Hayes and Donald Burke, in that final. Like, what, what does Sean Curry... And the other thing as well, he's a young lad. He's like 21, 22. There's a lot of time there to develop Sean Curry into a, a top-class inter-county hurler. He's absolutely shown, you know, the ability to do it. And instead, we're persistent with the likes of Eamon Dillon, who has been in the county panel for years and has been on and, on and off in terms of his form. He, one day he'll be fantastic and then the next day he'll get marked out of the game so like don't get me wrong i think Eamon dylan is definitely a dublin standard player but i don't see why sean curry isn't in there for me i'd not only have him in the panel but i'd have him starting him ronan hayes and donald burke together in the forwards with the likes of danny Sutcliffe there complimenting them i don't see why we don't do it because not only did he show in the club final that he absolutely can be marked by a player like Bill O'Carroll and still score that much off him. So I don't see why, even in a game like against Leash, why he wasn't given a chance to kind of prove himself a little bit. Um, doesn't make sense to me. Ronan Hayes, on the other hand, absolutely. I mean, he showed in that club final the amount of talent that he has. You should be building the forward line around him because he's a big, powerful full forward. You could give us a serious, you know, heartbeat to that forward line. So, yeah, I don't see why we're not putting them right at the heart of our forwards and giving service to him because Croaks did and they got the benefits. Yeah, and it is an interesting one, all right, with, with Sean Curry. Like, he wasn't even on the bench at all. So, yeah, I'm in the same opinion as you as well. Like, it, it is a strange one to see him not even in the squad or not even in the starting 15. Um, I suppose you have to give credit to Leash, though, at the same time. Look, listen, they, they gave a spirited performance and I suppose they've shown the you know, it's a weird one with them because they've given a lot of these very good... I know they beat Dublin, obviously, back in, in 2019, but outside of that, since that, they've had a lot of very good performances against some of the other sort of... I, I wouldn't class Dublin as a big team, but, like, against some of the other kind of big teams like Clare and Waterford, like, they've given good performances, nearly beaten them at times, came close to taking scalps and just haven't quite been able to get over the line, but... They clearly do have some good players and PJ Scully and, you know, James Keyes and a few other lads and Stephen Picky Mar and whatnot. We've seen, obviously, uh, how well he performed in the uh, in the All-Ireland Club Senior Hurling Championship. So, for Leash, look, they'll take a lot of positives. But, but again, it's another one of them where they've come so close to taking a scalp. But in the end, they've nothing to show for it. Yeah. And I mean, like, on top of the players you mentioned, Dan de Rowland's one of the best keepers in the country. And then Paddy Purcell as well as one of the best hurlers in the country, full stop. He's brilliant. Um, I thought, yeah, PJ Scully's freeze throughout the game are fantastic. I thought Mark Dowling looked pretty good. And then you're talking about the likes of Chad Dwyer as well, who have been around the block and like they're fantastic hurlers. The King Brothers as well, the Dunphys. Like Leash do have some serious talent there. And it's no wonder that when Dublin have been on the hop, Leash caught them. So like they do have the talent there. They really need that breakthrough victory, though. And the, the one against Dublin kind of looked like it could be it. And then, obviously, everything happened with Eddie Brennan. He left, and now they're in that rebuild phase again. So, 
I think they really need like a breakthrough victory. They need a victory over a Dublin or a Clare or a Wexford or a team that they can maybe catch on the hop one day to really kind of announce themselves because they've been banging on the door. You're right. They've been banging on the door for a few years now, ever since that Dublin victory. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and I suppose speaking of uh, Kilkenny, we were chatting about them there just a little bit briefly there earlier. Very, very comprehensive win away to Westmead in the end. I suppose expected really here. I think a lot of people would have looked at Kilkenny to win this one quite comfortably. Good scoreline for Westmead to rack up at the same time, 119. But Kilkenny, very much the favourites, I think, in most people's eyes for Leinster and starting obviously with a big win. Yeah. And I mean, like, Westmead started this game actually really well. I mean, it was six points each. The likes of Killian Doyle were absolutely fantastic right from the start. And then, obviously, Niall O'Brien as well. He hit some nice scores. And t- and Westmead, sorry, they were 10 points to six up. And then Michael Carey got that cracking goal. But still, Westmead, for large portions of the game, responded to Kilkenny points. They were, you know, three points behind them. I mean, it was usually, it was like 112 to 12 points, then 113 to 13 points. They were responding Jerry scored if Kilkenny were getting and staying just three points behind. And then the red card happened. Cormac Boyle was sent off for a pull, the second yellow card, and then they just collapsed. I mean, goals, James Marr, Walter Walsh, TJ Reid, they, they really just fell apart there at the end. Um, I think, you know, the own McCabe goal at the end was a nice consolation for them. I actually thought, even though he conceded five goals, I thought Connor Bracken, the goalkeeper, I thought he looked pretty good. I mean, he, I mean, he made a great save from Walter Walsh just before Billy Ryan put it in the back of the net. But the collapse at the end will be a little bit concerning for Westmead. I mean, to go from a position where you're right there competitive and then you lose one player and then all of a sudden you concede four goals, like it, it is a bit concerning for Westmead. But you have to take heart from the performance up until then. I mean, Killian Doyle was running a tour de force. They looked fantastic. They've got some, you know, they got some fantastic hurlers like the likes of Tommy Doyle. You got Davy Glennon there as well. So look, Westmead will take some great positives from it, you know, that they did stand up to probably the best team in Leinster. So the fact that they were able to compete with the best team in Leinster for the amount of time that they did, it will give them great confidence that maybe, maybe just maybe they can turn over leash. Yeah, I think so as well. And, you know, as you were saying there, like you'd look at a scoreline like this and you'd probably say, yeah, that's standard. That's probably expected, really. But I remember following the game on Scorpio and I was thinking, um, you know, really, this was actually quite close. Like, and there really wasn't much between them at all, you know. Um, but then all of a sudden you you look back 20 minutes later and Kilkenny have scored four goals in the final 20 minutes. And obviously Westmead have gone down to 14 men. So that definitely did make a, a huge, huge impact. In terms of Kilkenny, obviously we had a comment there coming in there earlier saying Kilkenny are rubbish or whatever, which I definitely disagree with. You know, I still think they're there or thereabouts. I wouldn't think they're going to win the All-Ireland. Um, you would definitely have to have Waterford and Limerick ahead of them. But with Kilkenny, they just have this way of always kind of, you know, being there or thereabouts. So whereabouts would you have them in the, the big picture in the All-Ireland? Yeah, and uh, you were mentioning there about how they always seem to come back, and I don't know how they do that with Brian Cody not in charge anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he must. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It must be an imposter or something. Maybe it's a, yeah. twin, a clown or something. Yeah, it's not Brian Cody. It's a ghost. But um, no, uh, like, look, I I do think you can never write off Kilkenny. I mean, the example that I've given is the the 2019 All Ireland semi final against Limerick. I mean, no one saw that coming. Like that would the hype around Limerick was as real back then as it is now. Like everyone was tipping Limerick to go and win the All-Ireland again that year. And Kilkenny just caught them and just taught them a real lesson that day. Like, I mean, I know 
that there was a Darrow Donovan sideline, which definitely did hit the Kilkenny player before going out, and that would have been a 65, and that would have been probably an equaliser. But the fact that Kilkenny were able to run them that close does show that they still have the metal because most of that team are still here now. I think that they've drastically improved during the league campaign. I think Porrick Walsh moving to the half-forward line has been an absolute masterstroke. I think TJ Reid coming back into the side, I mean, he looked pretty sharp when he came on. Billy Ryan looks very, very good. He looks like he's getting better and better. Then, you know, you complement that with the likes of Owen Cody. You complement that with the likes of Paddy Deegan, Keen Kenny in midfield as well as a good addition. I think Kilkenny are very, very strong. So I think, honestly, I would put them in All-Ireland contention, probably as my number three team. I would have said number four, but having seen how poor Cork did against Limerick, I would say that, look, like I think Kilkenny might actually put ahead, even though Cork did kind of put Kilkenny away in the league semi-final. Yeah, and just running through some of the results, I suppose, from the Joe McDonough Cup, you'd carry 18 points down, 119, big uh, surprise there in most people's eyes. Mead, 17 points, Carlo, 430, and Antrim, 322, Offaly, 224. I suppose, any thoughts on um, on them results there? I mean, obviously, big win for Antrim. That was very close in the end, literally went down to the last puck of the ball, and obviously down with a, a big win away from Kerry, and I suppose showing their uh, progression in Hurling um, over the last couple of years. Of course, they were in the Division Two league final as well. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Down Hurling is getting better and better. I mean, you think of the, like the Ballycran team that got to the Ulster final and put up a huge test to Slocknail that day. I mean, that's a great victory over a Kerry side that, you know, had the likes of Fionn Mackesy and they had the likes of Shane Conway that, you know, they've been in the John McDonough Cup final there a couple of years ago. So Kerry definitely have the pedigree and the fact that Down beat them, that's a massive scalp for them to claim. And then, obviously, you know, it wasn't at home either. So, that's a massive step forward for Down. On the other hand, the Andrew Moffley game was a cracker. I mean, 322 to 224, like, what a scoreline that is. And some of the performances as well. I mean, Owen Cahill, I thought, was superb, roughly, throughout the game. Then, uh, Conor McCann for Antrim, I thought he was brilliant. I mean, Antrim, like, the likes of Paddy Burke, I thought he was superb too. Just the goals in the game, were all of them were brilliant. And the atmosphere up there, you get this sense that, like, it had a bit of bite in it as well. Like, I mean, you see down at the sideline, I think it was it Johnny Kelly and uh, Darren Gleeson were getting into it after one of the goals. Like, you can tell these are the top two teams in the John McDonough this year, Offaly and Antrim. And they knew at the end of that game, they're probably going to be playing each other in the final come down the line. So that was a real mouthwatering clash. And like, I, I can't wait to see them clash again because I do genuinely think that they will. And then on the other hand, Carlo, you know, to be expected, picking up a, a good win there, putting up 430 against me, that was very impressive. You know, they have the likes of Marty Kavanagh and then uh, I think it's Nolan up front. So they really, really do have some good hurlers there, Carlo. And, you know, that they were competing in Division 1 there a few years ago. So they'll be keen to get back to that level soon. Yeah, and Marty Cavanaugh will won eight there at uh, at Park Talchian, so a, a very significant win there for me. And Paul Sheehan with fourteen points for down away to Kerry, so definitely a, a lot of uh, progression there. We'll run through some of the football results, and we've from Mana two ten, Tyrone two seventeen, Tyrone getting the uh, the victory in the end. Uh, I suppose you know it was close enough in the first half for Mana. We're certainly. Um, given a much better display to what people expected thrown where maybe struggling a bit in the first half but I think they hit 1-8 without reply at the start of the second half very very comfortable in the end and Fermanagh's two late goals probably making the scoreline a little bit more respectable but 
for Tyrone, in the end, the All-Ireland champions get the victory and march on in Ulster. Yeah, I think they'll be happy enough with how it went, except for the ending, which I'm sure we'll talk about with Conor McKenna getting sent off. But mm. I thought their performance looked really good. And the standout for this is just how good, for me anyway, the standout for this is just how good their midfield pairing is now. Uh, Brian Kennedy and Con Kilpatrick, like they're, they're right up there. They're probably, you could argue, the best midfield pairing in the country. I mean, I know that Matthew Ran, rightfully so, I think Matthew Ran is the most complete midfielder in the country right now. But like in terms of his form, obviously, you know, Brian Fenton is the most gifted player. But in terms of what his performance levels have been, Ruan's been fantastic. But if you're talking a pairing, I think Kilpatrick and Kennedy is a really good show for the best pairing in the country. Um, very interestingly, the whole rotation of Kilpatrick in a full forward, and then he was back out midfield and Brian Kennedy was in a full forward. And, you know, the two of them were claiming marks. They were setting up chances for the likes of Dara Canavan and Darren McCurry, who are buzzing around them. You know, so showing that they're not just going to put Cahill McShane in there as a target man. Sometimes it will be one of the big midfielders. Um, I thought that they were very impressive. Darren McCurry, Dara Canavan in particular, scored some lovely points. Niles Ludden got a lovely one as well. And Kieran McGeary looked better than he did in the league because, I mean, his performances in the league were pretty poor, um, which is worrying because of how important he was to Tyrone last season. But no, and then Connor Myler as well, the goal that he got in the first half, which came at a crucial time because Fermanagh were 7-5 up when Myler got the goal. So Tyrone got a bit of a test, probably more of a test than they thought they would. But yeah, they passed it with flying colours in my opinion. And I think Logan and Dewar, I think they'd be very happy with that. Yeah, we've seen how well Toronto has done when they have Kilpatrick and Kennedy in that midfield. Like I think I've seen a statistic where they've only won one of their last eight games or something like that when when either one of those two haven't been playing and they've used someone else in the midfield. So for Tyrone, like they're they're doing very, very well when they do have that midfield. And I think you you've seen the the work that was obviously that that or the work we seen them do obviously last year in terms of winning that uh winning that all Ireland. Um, you were mentioning there about Conor McKenna's red card. What was your opinions on it? Oh, I thought it was very harsh. I thought it was very harsh. I mean, can you name one teammate in the country? I mean, obviously, you've, I'm assuming you've played the GA yourself. Like, if your teammate is there getting, you know, three lads on him, you know, what teammate in the country is not going to run over and help their teammate out? And the thing is, McKenna didn't, like, McKenna didn't run over and hit him a dig. He didn't run over and box him. Like, he ran over and pushed him onto the ground. And at that point, point like, like Colin O'Rourke was trying to make the point in the commentary that oh no in the analysis that oh well he picked him up and threw him on the ground yeah because he knows that the Fermanagh lads are immediately going to turn around and which they did and piled onto him tore his jersey off him about four of them on him immediately I mean I think Kilpatrick it's hard to know like I did see him swing up his arm when he was on the ground I don't know if one of the Fermanagh lads kind of stood over him said something to him then he reacted, but very it was very obvious that James McMahon put his hand in Kilpatrick's face when he was on the ground and kind of pushed on him. That's a huge like disrespect, obviously. Of course, Kilpatrick's going to bite on that. And then McKenna did what any teammate would do in the country. And to have him singled out as if he was the only player that got involved <laughs> in that. I mean, I think probably the reason he was picked was because, I don't know, third man in, even though... You know, there were multiple people in already, but McKenna going in was what made it from a little incident into a brawl. But of course, there's not one teammate in the country who's not going to back up their teammate when he's getting four men standing over him like that. So I think it's way too harsh. I think Tyrone should appeal it. 
And yeah, I don't know. What's your opinion on it? Like, because this thing, this thing seems to happen at the end pretty much every GAA game now. Like, it's it's really, really crept in. I know it's always been part of the game, but I feel like it's getting more and more common. Yeah, I, I thought it was a yellow. I definitely wouldn't have given a, a straight red um, because he, he obviously pushed one of the players and then sort of picked another one up and threw him on the ground as well. Would have given a yellow, but definitely wouldn't have given a straight red. And I think he'd already gotten a yellow at that point, so he probably would have been sent off, I suppose you'd have to say. But obviously with a straight red, it means he's suspended with, with two yellows. I don't think he would have been suspended then. So I think they will appeal, and I think he, he should definitely be available for, for the next one. But it is one of them again as well, where I, you know, because originally I thought he gave McKenna a second yellow, and I said, oh, well, that's, that's fair enough. But when he gives him a straight red, it kind of doesn't really make sense why he gave him a straight red, but not uh, McMahon or Conal Jones, I think it was as well, or maybe Ryan Jones, one of the Joneses anyway. Um, obviously, it's two of them got yellows as the well. The number so. nine, the big fella. Yeah, yeah. So it was a little bit... It was a little bit boring. Might have been, yeah. Yeah, so it was a little bit unusual, to be honest. That. Um, and referees seem to do this quite a lot, where they... I don't know, I feel like it, they, they seem to bottle a lot of these decisions, where they'll, they'll give a red here, or give a yellow here, yellow, you know. No real consistency, really, at all. Oh no, it's a raffle. Like it, it genuinely is. It's like who's gonna go? And like, you know, the thing is, like, if by the letter of the law, if you're gonna send off McKenna, you should send off James McMahon as well. And like, that's why I'm kind of surprised because refs in the past have seemed to have this thing of one player per team, right? Like when the when a scuffle breaks out, and that's why when Tyrone got four players sent off, everyone was so shocked. But at the same time. All four of them deserve to be sent off. Like absolutely, all four of them deserve to be sent off because they all, you know, were caught striking another opponent, which is the rules. Like, why is it, why is it crept in kind of as an unwritten rule that like you don't send off players and they're all in a brawl? Anyone who strikes, if you want to play the rules, should go. So I don't know how mm. it's crept in that like players can just get away with stuff. Then on the other hand, the player that is just helping his teammate out. Obviously, I mean, he went in there aggressively, but find me a player who's not going to do that at the inter-county level, especially in like an Ulster championship where there is a rivalry between the two counties. It's obviously going to happen. I think Toronto definitely appealed the decision, and I think it would be a big loss to them if they do lose McKenna because he was showing some serious energy. He looked you know, quick, he looked sharp, and then you know he hit that shot for the goal, which hit the post and came up with, finished into the back of the net there. I think it was by Rafferty, and then he was kicking some nice points as well. So if he's gone, that's actually a big loss for Tehran. So I do think they will appeal his suspension, and in my opinion, the uh, suspension should be turned over. Yeah, I, th I think so as well. Yeah, like I, I definitely think they will. They will certainly look into it. And I know I think Fergal Logan and Brian who are one of them are solicitors anyway. So I'm sure they'll they'll definitely get down to down to work in regards to that. But um. Yeah, like, and I suppose as well, like you've seen even with McKenna and his art or his, his shirt getting dragged off him. I don't even know if that's why the referee gave him a red because he's seen him with his top off and he thought, oh, well, he must have, he must have been getting into some bother somewhere. And that's why, why he kind of just chose, why he singled him out. I don't really know. Like, it was a, a strange one, really, because I definitely think, like, McMahon, what he done was arguably worse. So, um, it was a bit odd, all right. Mm. Well, the antagonism, it's just gone to a new level. I mean, like, I'm actually interested in your opinion on this because, you know, I, I hate it. Like, I absolutely hate it. The, the fact that the likes of David Clifford and the likes of, say, Sean O'Shea, 
they know that every game that they're going into, they're just going to get someone who's on them, just melting in their air all game, trying to rile them up, trying to get them to hit them, trying to get them sent off. The fact that that's just become such an accepted part of the game, I don't understand it. Like, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, like, a, like a, I'm all down for a bit of banter, a bit of crack or whatever. I suppose it depends what people are saying to each other, obviously. You know, no, I think there is a line. Like, I don't think you should be bringing in... Yeah. You know, people's girlfriends or you know family members or anything like that or races religions anything like that i think that there is a clear line i think you can have a bit of banter between two people you know a bit of jokes back and forth you know there's, there's no there's no harm and rivalry whatsoever in sport and we've all been there before you know yeah. even even with people you know like you might be best mates with someone you're marking and you know you, you'll have a bit of laugh you'll have a bit of crack with them but i think there is a line where you shouldn't go too far you shouldn't go too over the top there's definitely certain things you shouldn't say and i do think as well like I, I i don't know like i feel like the fighting at the end of a game for me is something that never really makes sense like i feel like at the start of a game if you want to lay down the law lay down a bit of a marker fair enough but towards the end of the game when it's all dead and buried like i just i don't really know like the, the there's an old expression my dad always used to say actually funny enough he was like if you don't win the match maybe you can win the fight and maybe that's what uh the, the fermanagh lads were thinking yeah. of there maybe maybe yeah no like maybe it's just trying to make a statement that like you know you might have won but you're not going to push us around you're not going to bully us and yeah maybe they were just trying to leave one on a few Toronto lads there who knows yeah and i suppose to finish up on fermana then they'll be going obviously into the Tolchian cup um what do you think of them going into the Tolchian Cup? I mean, there's not really much between a lot of those Division 3, Division 4 teams. And look, although they were beaten in the end by seven points, I think they'll definitely take a bit of confidence going into that. And with players like Sean Quigley, Kieran Corrigan, they'll definitely fancy their chances. Yeah, they were better than I thought they were. Like, I have to say, I mean, like, having seen how they started the Division 3 campaign with Antrim coming up to Brewster Park and absolutely dominating them, they didn't look like they were in the same league as Antrim. Um, I was genuinely worried for Kieran Donnelly and for, you know, for Mana. They've got better and better, and they look they look very good at the start against Toronto. Obviously, got on five points to two ahead. Lovely scores by Ryan Lyons early. He looked very impressive. Conal Jones got a nice one. Sean Quigley got a nice one. So, look, the fact is, well, they're without, they're without the likes of Owen Donnelly, Ulton Cowan, Shea Cullen. Like, those are three fantastic players, and they were missing them. So, obviously, Owen Donnelly has retired, but if they can get the other two back in, you know, they'll be actually looking, in my opinion, dark horses for the Tolstian Cup. I mean, personally, I think it could be a cabin that uh, that win the Tolstian Cup. I think Westmead had the talent to do it as well. But, yeah, no, I would be genuinely looking at for man as serious dark horses to win the Tolstian Cup this year. Yeah, you definitely wouldn't want to bet on that, all right, because it's going to be um, it's going to be very close indeed between a lot of the the different counties that are going to be involved. You had New York fifteen points, Sligo one sixteen. I mean, this game was a lot closer than people thought, and I actually think New York were the better team for the vast majority of this one. And on another day, could have won this one. I mean, it was on; they were level going into the final couple of minutes. Sligo pulled away with the the final four final four points in the game, but New York will take a lot of credit in the end from from this performance. Yeah, obviously similar to uh, similar to London as well. No championship game since before the pandemic. And, you know, I mean, the likes of Adrian Varley, six points. I mean, he looked fantastic. Johnny Glynn at midfield as well looked pretty impressive. Mark Ellis too, like a, a former core curler. Like, I mean, then I, I mean, back it was the Daniel O'Sullivan. He looked really, really good. I mean, his pace on the counter-attack was very impressive. 
Yeah, like Sligo, on the other hand, though, they'll still be happy. I mean, they went to New York, they got a serious test, and they passed it. I mean, Sean Carabine with one three, Niall Murphy with five points, Paddy O'Connor with three points. I mean, the Sean Carabine goal as well was brilliant. I mean, he showed us pace and uh, a lovely finish. I think the league definitely helped Sligo because when it came down to the home stretch and when it came down to the, the crunch time of the game, they were able to get over the line. Pat Spillane coming off the bench, I thought that really helped. I mean, his running power was very evident there. And, you know, they got some crucial scores. Obviously, you mentioned the four points in a row. That's what saw them over the line. But I think New York would be absolutely delighted with the performance. I thought they looked really, really good. Um, interesting enough, I, I did like the commentary between uh, Darren Frehel and Pat Spillane. I thought Pat Spillane's a funny kind of co-commentator because... I mean, he's, he's your typical man on the sideline, isn't he? That You know, oh, great score there, great great point there, great point there. Mm. Oh, oh, talking over Darren Fehl, I mean, I liked it. It was it had a real live stream type feel to it. Yeah, it was good, all right. I mean, it, it felt like he was out of breath uh, a lot of the time and you were kind of wondering, is he going for a jog or was he yeah. out on the on the points the night before or something? <laughs> I'm not sure, like, because he definitely did seem, you know, and he was kind of... Yeah, he was belching out at, at, at so much that was going on, but it was kind of entertaining to be fair to him. Um, but yeah, he's a character, yeah, yeah, he's a little unusual at times, I suppose you could say. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't hold back, he's a, like a monster version of Joe Broly, I'd say not not as controversial, but sometimes he doesn't, uh, he doesn't hold back. And if he sees a good point, he says it's a good point, regardless of whether the commentator is, is talking or not. But, no, I thought Frehel Frehel went well with him because Frehel wasn't uh, wasn't too uh, too uptight about it. Wasn't too like stop talking. I'm doing the commentary here. I thought he kind of let it be a two man act rather than a commentator and then a co commentator. I thought the two of them are you know in, in it together type thing. So yeah, no, I really enjoyed the game. I thought it was a breath of fresh air. I thought New York played like a side with nothing to lose. And going into the Tolton Cup, I mean, me and Matt were having the conversation saying like if they get a Waterford or if they get a Carlo, I mean. Let's remember, Sligo put 28 points on Carlo. Like, mm. I'd actually back New York to have a serious chance against Carlo. And then Waterford as well, who, you know, finished rock bottom of the league campaign without a victory. Like, you wouldn't actually put it past New York to turn one of those teams over. Yeah, no, I, th- I think New York are going to get their, their first ever inter-county win at senior level this year. I really do. Um, haven't seen them play. And yeah. with Adrian Varley as well, who looks very impressive. Um, but yeah, last thing on the Pat Spillane thing as well. Obviously, it was, it was funny enough seeing Pat Spillane Jr. coming on as well. And he, he, he hit a point as well, I remember, at one stage. And Darren Frehel didn't acknowledge it. And I seen Pat Spillane and he was like, was that Pat? And he was kind of just saying it. <laughs> In, in the background and he kind of wanted him to have his moment I was hoping that Frehel would acknowledge that it was him that scored but obviously he just wasn't have seen it but um, that was definitely a, a funny moment alright last but not least then you had uh, London 2-11 Leitrim 3-12 um, close one as well I think a lot of people expected it to be close Leitrim just about getting over the line in the end yeah big chance miss for London like big chance miss for London I think like you have a side that are coming over and um, that you've beaten them in the league when they had a better team on paper out that day than they did th- than they did this time. I mean, they had Keith Byrne there last time, who is their scorer in chief. This time they didn't have him, and then Leitrim were coming to London this time as opposed to London going to Leitrim. So I thought, look, this could be a serious, serious chance. And me and Matt actually tipped London to win this game. We thought like the the momentum is there. This is their championship final. They've been waiting for a championship game for so long. And now they have Leitrim, the worst team in Connacht, with no disrespect to Leitrim. I mean, Sligo look pretty good. You've got Roscommon, Galway and Mayo then, who are like, you know, miles ahead of them, uh, of the other two. 
So I thought, like, look, this is lined up for London to potentially take Leitrim out here and make national news. I mean, because if London had won this game, you know, the news stories would have been everywhere about it, uh, about what another feather in the cap that would have been for Michael Marr and for the London boys. And um, I thought they looked really good in stages. I mean, the two the two goals towards the end there from McMahon and from Sean Hickey, that really had Leitrim on the edge of their seats. And only when Ryan O'Rourke got the goal at the end, that's the only time that I really was like, all right, Leitrim are going to win this. But right up until that point, I, I genuinely, I thought maybe when Donald Rain got the second goal, that maybe Leitrim might see at home. But the two quick goals from London, like that brought Leitrim right back. And then O'Rourke's goal finally finished it off, I suppose. Yeah, like, like we've seen this time and time again with London. Like they seem to be one of these teams that seems to be down and out, and then they seem to come back and and fire back out of nowhere. Like, and I suppose they're another team going into a Talchin Cup that could definitely spring a couple of surprises. Like I definitely don't think they'll be a million miles away from it. Like I think you would look at a lot of other sides that should get the better of them, but at the same time, at home, like they haven't been beaten. Like when you look at through all the results, other than a nine point defeat to Sligo, London have been competitive in every game that they've played, which I think is testament really to Michael Marr and his management team. 100% because, you know, they've been competitive with Cavan and Tipperary, like two sides that were very recently into, no, sorry, uh, provincial champions. So I think absolutely like London, same thing as I'm saying with New York, like if London get a, a Waterford or a Carlo, like they'd be licking their lips at the chance of having a go at the two of those sides because the two of them, morale will be low in that camp. And I'm saying this in a way of respect to, to London and New York. I was saying with Matt, like London and New York have nothing to lose. Like if they lose, no one really, like the fact that what, what I showed that will prove this is Leitrim went away to London, a side that had beaten them in the league. Forget that it's London. They went away to a side that had beaten them in the league and they went there without their best forward, their top scorer, their key, key player, their talisman. And they won by four points. And it didn't really make national news. But if London had won that game, it would have made national news. And that's my point when I'm saying that London don't really have anything to lose. And it's the exact same with New York. But when they come up against a Waterford or a Carlo, if they turn one of them over, like that's a massive, massive news. That's massive day for Gaelic football in those two areas. And yeah, same thing with, with New York. I think if London get a Waterford or a Carlo, or if they get New York themselves, I think, you know, they'll be eyeing up though as a potential victory. Yeah, I think so as well. Like, and you see it even with Andy Moran as well, like hugging his right-hand man. Um, I've seen an image of that going around social media. And obviously you can see how much it means there. Like, and they knew it was a very, very tough game and it was a big, big win to come out with. You've got Mayo and Galway this weekend and provided Mayo were to get past Galway, I mean, you could have Andy Moran going up against his, uh, his former county, which, look, I think everyone... Everyone and everyone's dog in the street knows that whoever comes through Mayo and Galway should beat Leitrim and get into that kind of final. But the idea of Andy Moran going up against either a Mayo or even against a Galway, who are you know one of his his big rivals, um, you know as a player, I mean that will be um, a bit of a story in that, I suppose as well. Yeah, of course, because obviously Andy, like you cut him and he he, he bleeds green and red. So if, if he had to be managing against Mayo, I think it would be an interesting, uh, interesting spectacle. But I think it wouldn't be as much of an interesting spectacle on the pitch. I think Leitrim are in for a bad day, whether they play Mayo or Galway. Um, obviously then, like if they pull off the shock of all shocks and beat one of them, I just still don't think they'd beat Roscommon in the final, providing Roscommon get by, get by Sligo. 
Yeah, no, I'd, I'd have to agree as well. And I suppose if Andy Moore and Leitrim ever came up against Ross Common, maybe that would even be a, an even more of an interesting, uh, interesting clash. I suppose before we finish up, Shane, it's obviously your own podcast, uh, play on GA. Where can people find that if they're uh, if they're looking for looking to see a bit more of yourself and obviously your your friend Luke, who uh, does be on the show with yourself as well. Yeah, um, so it's just uh, called Play On GAA. We're on YouTube, we're on Instagram, and uh, we're coming to Spotify very soon. I was saying I was uh, head deep in the assignments, so um, you know I was flat out with them. But I am nearly finished. I have one left, and once uh, once that's over, um, we'll be on Spotify very very soon. So just literally Play On GAA. Myself and Luke kind of both run the channel. Obviously, Luke took the the match of yours this weekend while I was doing the assignments. So, um, yeah, uh, thanks a million, Aaron, again. Been a pleasure again having me on. I uh, yeah, and enjoyed the discussion. Perfect, Seamus. Top man. Cheers for coming on.